We left last week with the first martyr, as well as the first mention of Saul, who we know as Paul. And in this chapter, or the last chapter, Stephen gives an incredible discourse to bring home the point that God is not about places, but he's about the relationship with people. That the temple is not what's important, but it's the God of the temple. And that their focus was in the wrong place. And it was the same mistakes that were made by their forefathers, not recognizing both God's establishing of Joseph, of establishing of Moses, how his own people rejected him, even as they rejected the Messiah. And with these words, they were convicted to the heart. They gnashed their teeth. They rushed at him. We saw how that when they stoned him to death, when they crushed Stephen, that what came from him was Jesus. His last words were Jesus' final words as well. Father, forgive them, for they don't know what they do. And in verse 1 of chapter 8, it starts off and it says, And Saul was there giving approval to his death. And the word approval there is actually voting for. In other words, he had the ability to say, yes, go ahead with this, which tends to show that he was actually a member of the Sanhedrin, that what we call the Supreme Court that time. That Paul had this prestige, had this position, and he was there voting for the death of Stephen. And that's where we're picking up now as we're seeing not only was there the death of Stephen, but there is the emergence of Saul and his presence now in this story. In verse 1, continue, it says, On that day, that same day that this stoning took place with Stephen, a great persecution broke out against the church at Jerusalem, and all except the apostles were scattered throughout Judea and Samaria. Godly men buried Stephen and mourned deeply for him. But Saul began to destroy the church, going from house to house. He dragged off men and women and put them into prison. Boy, we've been just kind of basking in this, this great, you know, Wonderful thing that's been happening. The church is being born. All the people are hanging out in Jerusalem. They're all just hanging out, enjoying, taking care of each other's needs. Wow, hey, they're staying longer than they would normally have because of the birth of the church. Enjoying one another's company. All having things in common. We see God doing amazing things. And all of a sudden, there's a change. And as we look at this change, we think, oh, Oh my gosh, this is this is terrible, and indeed it was. We saw them mourning for Stephen and just the persecution on that day. Persecution broke out. But it's interesting because with this persecution, all of a sudden we see that there is a scattering, and it's interesting the, the cities that are mentioned here, Judea and Samaria, because those are the exact cities that Jesus said the church was supposed to go to in chapter 1, verse 8. 
You're going to be witnesses of me in Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria and the rest of the world. Well, they weren't going to Judea. They weren't going to Samaria. They were hanging out in Jerusalem because, you know, it was great. It was wonderful. All the things that were happening. And just like necessity is the mother of invention, we see that persecution is often the catalyst for evangelism. And you might have experienced even growth in your own life comes at the hard times. Those difficult times, God does a deep work. And so James says, count it all joy, my brothers, when you fall into diverse temptations and trials, knowing that the testing of your faith is going to produce perseverance. And when it's accomplished, it's going to bring forth just a great work in your life. And, I mean, let's face it, those words at the onset, count it all joy when you fall into... Hard times. It just strikes us. You count it all, Joanna. I'm counting it as hard times. But God is doing a deeper work. And here, as the church is being persecuted, it is also dispersed and spreading. Which is a great thing. It's a good thing. Now, It's interesting here also that as everyone scattered, as the persecution came down and everyone's talking about what had happened, because this is a big deal. Stephen just was killed. You know how the media right now, everyone's talking about the new president and we talked, you know, it was all the buzz and everyone's talking about, you know, this whole, you know, transfer and change and everyone's talking about, well, everyone was talking about Stephen just getting put to death. It was on CNN, Fox, CBS, NBC. The Jerusalem Herald had it on the front page. (laughs) It was the news. Because, you know, there had been persecution. They had smacked the disciples around a little bit earlier, but they just put someone to death. And he was one of the ones that had been elevated into a role of leadership. And the time between these chapters, I mean, we're talking, it could be up to six years, actually, that's taking place. We don't know for sure. But there's time. I mean, we read it, and it's like the next day we start thinking all these things happen. But from when Stephen and those were assembled, and as these things growing up, and developing, it could be as long as six years. So there's a period of time that's taking place, and it seems as if now they're starting to spread out and move out among other people. And it says that they all scattered except the apostles, which is interesting. Everyone fled, but not the apostles. And again, this is one of the last references we saw in an earlier chapter that the 12, it was the last time that they were mentioned. Well, this is kind of the last time. Well, we see apostles used, but this seems to be more specific to the 12. There's other times we don't know if it's the 12 or if it's just a few, or there's other apostles, even as Paul is called later on. But here we see they stayed. And you wonder, well, why did they stay? 
And there's a couple of reasons, I, I think. One is the importance of recognizing that, you know what, even in persecution, we're not going to abandon you that are going through the hardest of times. We're going to stay with you in this hard time. We're not fleeing. And isn't it great to have someone who leads? You know, that idea that, you know, the, you're going to lead me into battle. I'm going to stay here until we leave. I'm not leaving you. I'm with you. I'm going to hang out with you guys in the middle of this persecution. We're not afraid. We fled once before, before when Jesus went to the cross. We fled then. We're not fleeing again. We know. We have confidence. It's going to be Okay. How secure and comforting is it for those of us going through times to have someone there in the middle of your problem saying, it's okay, I'm with you. I'm going through what you're going through. I know what you're going through. How encouraging is it for us when someone has gone through what we have gone through to be able to strengthen us because you're there. You know what I feel. You know the hurt. You know the hardship. Whatever it is, you know. Even that the scriptures tell us, those of you who have been gone through those things, strengthen those who are going through them. You go through something hard, now you can strengthen those who are going through that hard time. How comforting it is for them. That they stuck around, they weren't fleeing, they were going to stay in the heart, they had to strengthen those that were there. And they didn't flee. And it says that Saul, verse 3, began to destroy the church some translations might say to wreck havoc. The Septuagint translation, it is the same thing as a wild boar running through and just causing turmoil, destruction. It's like a wild animal on the loose. And it's interesting because the last chapter, they were laying their, their coats at his feet. He wasn't getting his hands dirty, but something's going on. He's going mad now. And now he's actually dragging men and women and putting them into prison. He's getting his hands dirty. He's in the middle. He's in a frenzied state. And you wonder what's going on. You know that old saying, if you throw a rock into a pack of dogs, you can tell which one it hit. It's the one that yelps. Well, Paul's starting to emerge here. He's starting to get in a frenzy. What's going on? He was touched, I'm sure. Stephen, and now it's just making him crazy. I've got to take care of this. I've got to stop this right now. And so he's trying. He's trying to stop it. But the church is growing. Verse 4 it says, Those who had been scattered preached the word wherever they went. Oh, well, there you go. They scattered, but they scattered preaching the word. And I love that because it has to do with declaring the good news. As they're going and they're preaching, they're actually pronouncing glad tidings. The gospel, the good news. And so, the church is hanging around in Jerusalem. Now, they're being scattered, but they're being scattered and they're doing what Jesus said they were supposed to do. There was a, a Texan. had a big corporate party at his house. He had a huge mansion. Invited everyone there for the party, and in the back he had this giant man-made lake. And they were all standing around looking at it, and one of the guys said, 
what are the what is that in the in your little pond there? You've got something floating around there, and there's a bunch of alligators. He had hundreds of them sitting in the pond. He goes, you know what? Those are alligators. I put them in there on purpose. Because, you know, it takes courage to develop a business. In fact, if anyone will jump into that pond and swim across, I'll give them whatever they want. I'll raise them up in my corporation. They'll be right next to me. Everyone laughed. Yeah, I hear crazy. Uh-huh. Well, the party's going on. Everyone's having a good time. All of a sudden, you hear a splash. There's this young man in the pond, and he's swimming like no business. Man, he's going for it. He's getting across, and everyone's just watching. Oh, my gosh. Oh, my gosh. And sure enough, he makes it across the pond. He jumps out, and he kind of dusts himself off and just starts, you know, shaking the water off. And the big CEO comes over. He goes, young man, that was amazing. What courage. I'm true to my word. What do you want? Whatever you want in this corporation, it's yours. You're my right-hand man. What is it you want? The man gets his composure together and he says, I only want one thing. I want to know who pushed me. (laughs) Sometimes it takes a push to get us to move. The persecution came and it pushed the church into the place where now they were doing what they were supposed to do. You know, we're, we've been talking about, and just even earlier, we prayed about, wow, you know, we're not going to be able to be here for a period of time in May 15th, for those of you who weren't here earlier. May 15th through, we're not sure when, the school's going to be doing some construction so we can't meet here. Splash. We, we tend to think of things, oh no, oh no, but sometimes the Lord's giving us a push. And we just don't see it, but we need to count it all joy when you fall into these things. Because it's producing something. It's producing perseverance. And gosh, being moved out of a school is a lot different than being dragged out of your home, thrown in prison. But they did that. People scattered, and they preached the word wherever they went. And then in verse 5, we see the emergence of another person who was mentioned earlier, of the seven that were raised up to be overseers. It's Philip. Philip went down into a city in Samaria and proclaimed the Christ there. When the crowds heard Philip and saw the miraculous signs he did, they all paid close attention to what he said. And with many, excuse me, to what he said, verse 7, with shrieks, evil spirits came out of many, and many paralytics and cripples were healed. So there was great joy in that city. Here we see, again, Philip taking that message, proclaiming it, and actually taking what Jesus had done and moving it forward. Just as Stephen, in his last breast, exemplified Christ, we see here Philip doing the same thing. Remember in John chapter 4, when Jesus said, I need to go through Samaria. And they marveled, saying, Samaria? The Jews don't have any dealings with Samarians, Samaritans. They, they're half-breeds. They don't follow the traditions of our forefathers. 
And then Jesus was talking at a, to a woman at a well. Not only is he in Samaria, he's talking to this woman. You just don't do that, Jesus. That's against our culture. That's against our custom. But he did. And he shared the gospel with her, the good news of who he was. That In fact, he is the first time that we know of him revealing himself as the Christ was to her, a Samaritan woman. Women were considered outcasts. And this is a Samaritan woman. Once again, we see God reaching to the farthest place and showing himself. And he says, I'm the Christ. And she goes, ah! And she runs back and tells the whole village, I got to tell you about this man who told me everything I ever did. And they all want to hear that because she had five husbands. <laughs> And so they all come back and she's the one who evangelizes that whole community. What the 12 disciples couldn't do, this one woman could. Jesus goes into Samaria, Samaria and starts speaking to them. Well, where does Philip go? He goes to Samaria. You know what? Jesus went there. I think I'll go there too. And he's stepping on uncharted territories. He's bringing this message of Jesus, the Christ, the Messiah, to these people who were outcasts. Starts telling them about this gospel, the glad tidings. And it says that as he did this, there was great joy in that city. What? does the gospel bring? It should bring great joy. I mean, gospel means good news. Shouldn't it bring great joy? Why is it? We, we, we've got this impression that, you know, I, I've got to preach the gospel and it's going to bring this condemnation. It's good news. It's glad tidings. It reminds me of Nehemiah chapter 8. When the law is read and the people are like, oh no, we haven't been doing it. We haven't been living up to the law. We've been failing and they're weeping and they're mourning. And Nehemiah says, stop it. This is a sacred day. What does sacred bring connotations to you? Quiet, somber. You know, it's just this kind of, it's sacred. But he tells them, go out and get food, get drink, and celebrate. Because this is a sacred day. Because you've heard the news that God has declared to his people. You have heard from God. Rejoice. If you find out that God has extended his hand to you, he's reaching out for you, that the Messiah has come, to rescue you. It's good news. And when we bring the gospel to people, it should be good news. If we leave and the people are like, wow, where am I? Man, I, I don't, I'm a miserable person. I, man, you haven't done your job. You haven't gone the distance. You've stopped somewhere in the middle of the good news. I always joke about that, you know, talking to people and how we communicate to people. You know, you heard the good news. No, what is it? You're going to hell, you know. 
What's the bad news, you know? Good news is that God has heard his people. And that he cares. The Messiah has come to redeem us. Good news. And so there is this celebration. These people are just ecstatic because of the good news. And I don't know what it is about us. We just, we take everything and we try and analyze it too much. You get a flat tire and you think, oh no, I've got a flat tire. God, what does this mean? It means you've got a nail in your tire. You know, you're going to get a flat tire whether you're a Christian or not. You're going to get sick whether you're a Christian or not. You're going to have financial struggles whether you're a Christian or not. Becoming a Christian doesn't make us immune from the things of this world. Jesus said in the world you will have tribulation, but be of good cheer, good news. Why? I've overcome the world. There is more than what you see. There is hope beyond the flat tire. Amen. There is something that is deeper, stronger, better still than all the circumstances that we go through. And so don't, what does this mean, God? Have you forgot me? No, you just have a flat tire. Your plumbing's going to break whether you're a Christian or not. Those things happen. But there's good news in spite of those things. There's good news beyond and deeper than all those things. There's glad tidings. There's a reason to rejoice. And it's not based on our circumstances. It's based on the Messiah. Jesus has heard, has seen, and has come. Wow. Great news. And so they're ecstatic. And now there's a little shift here in scenes. In verse 9 through 13, we see for some time that a man named Simon had practiced sorcery in the city and amazed all the people of Samaria. He boasted that he was someone great. And all the people, both high and low, gave him their attention and exclaimed, This man is the divine power known as the God, great power. They followed him because he had amazed them for a long time with his magic. But when they believed Philip, as he preached the good news of the kingdom of God and the name of Jesus Christ, they were baptized, both men and women. Simon himself believed and was baptized, and he followed Philip everywhere, astonished by the great signs and miracles he saw. So now there's the focus on Simon. You know something's up when he boasts that he was someone great. Whenever someone boasts of themselves, watch out. Verse 9 says he boasted that he was someone great. If you have to tell me you're great, something's not so great. Greatness should follow you. You don't have to promote it. I'm a great preacher. Well, if you have to tell me that, then something's missing. No, I'm a very spiritual person. If you have to tell me that, something's wrong. Don't promote yourself. Even Jesus said, if I testified about myself, my testimony wouldn't be good. The others testify for me. I don't need to testify about myself. And if ever someone promotes themselves, watch out. 
if you get a little pamphlet in the mail or you see someone on TV and they're promoting themselves about all the great things they do, mm, watch out. Something, something's up. And he, he boasted about these things. But he amazed the people and he did things, it says, magic. It showed that he, he captured their attention. He practiced sorcery. Um, we don't know exactly what it is and if it was. It seems to be later on as we're reading that he was kind of a charlatan. That he kind of did magic tricks, fooled people. I remember watching a, a special report. I forget if it's 20, 20 or 60 minutes or whatever it was. They were talking about to this guy, they were interviewing this guy who had murdered these people and was in prison, who had supposedly became a Christian. And he had developed this ability to do magic tricks. And with that, he fooled the inmates. And he would use it to his advantage to make them think he was someone special. So he wouldn't get beat to a pulp or something. And he would sit there and he said, well, if God wants you to... To know him, I'll have him open the Bible to where he wants. And all of a sudden, his, the pages of the Bible would start turning. And the people would be, oh, man. And then he goes, oh, here it is. This is what the Lord has for you. And they'd freak out. And then he told them, well, yeah, it's a trick that he did. He knows how to breathe a certain way. And he'd breathe on the pages. And, you know, it'd be quiet. But they'd freak out. And those kind of sleight of hand things marveled them. Because that's how we are. We see those kinds of things, whether it's David Copperfield or that guy who, you know, does weird tricks. And you see him and you, I freak out, you know, like, what the heck is going on? You know, and immediately you start thinking, oh, that's demonic. You know, I don't know. You can't do those kinds of things. And we don't know to what extent, you know, this was actually spiritual and what extent it was actually just sleight of hand. I had a friend when I was in high school who actually did those kinds of things. He was a Christian and he used to use those kinds of things to catch people's attention and then share the gospel through a, a mime that he did. It was pretty cool. But he's really good. I mean, he takes spoons and he'd bend them, you know, and they'd be a bent spoon and I'm like, oh man, we're in trouble now, you know, or a caros or something. But then he'd, you know, fix it and it would be all, okay, how'd you do that? And, you know, he didn't tell. So I never figured out how to do it. And so there's some bent spoons somewhere that I never could straighten. But this guy fooled everyone. But then it says he believed and was baptized, which is interesting. Because in verse 14, as we go on, we're going to find out a little bit more about him. But first it says, when the apostles in Jerusalem heard that Samaria had accepted the word of God, they sent Peter and John to them. Now, why did they send Peter and John? Philip was already there. Well, I believe that they were trying to maintain the unity. In other words, if Peter and John, who are kind of the pillars here, go to Samaria, it's kind of like giving God's blessing on the work that is happening. It's not the first church of Samaria and the first church of Jerusalem. No, it's just the church. And so they're going there to say, yes, this is the work of God. We are here to bring validation to what is taking place here. In verse 15, it says, and by the way, this is the last time John is mentioned in the book of Acts. We don't see him again throughout the book of Acts. In verse 15, it says, when they arrived, they prayed for them 
that they might receive the Holy Spirit because the Holy Spirit had not yet come upon any of them. They had simply been baptized into the name of the Lord Jesus. Then Peter and John placed their hands on them and they received the Holy Spirit. This is interesting as well because we see that they had already believed, were already followers of Jesus, but something more happened. The Holy Spirit had not yet come upon them. And so this shows that you can be a believer and still have the filling of the Holy Spirit. For those who would say, well, you know, once you're saved, that's all there is. Well, here there was more. They believed they were saved, but then they came and they prayed for them and they received more. Now, why didn't Philip pray for them? Well, I don't know. No one really does. Maybe he did not have that gifting. And so that was something that Peter and John did as they came there. I don't know why he didn't. If he couldn't or he wanted them to just be a part of that. And again, the validation that this came from them, don't know. But what's important is to recognize that there was more that they needed. As the church was persecuted in the book of Acts, remember we read that as they were praying, they said, Lord, give us boldness that we might preach the word. And the spirit fell upon them. The place was shaken and they spoke the word of God with great boldness. As the church is continuing in this persecution, they need strength. They need power. They need ability beyond their own. You know what? You and I need strength. We need power. We need ability beyond our, no, our own. We need to be filled with the Spirit just as they did. Is it enough to believe? Well, it's enough to get you to heaven, but is it enough to live a victorious life? No. You need to be empowered. The Spirit of God needs to be upon you, filling you, strengthening you, strengthening you to be a witness to those around you. And so here they came, they prayed, and they were filled with the Spirit. And we don't know what happened, how that took place. It doesn't say here that they spoke in tongues. It doesn't say anything, but something happened because in verse 18 it says, When Simon saw that the Spirit was given on, at, the laying hands on, excuse me, at the laying on of the apostles' hands, he offered them money. And said, give me also this ability so that everyone on whom I lay hands may receive the Holy Spirit. Something happened that he saw. Maybe it was just the power and witness. The boldness that they had. We don't know. But there was a difference. I want that difference. I want there to be something in my life that shows. I want there to be the power and presence of God upon my life that makes a difference that someone can see. I don't want to have to be something that I have to talk about or promote myself. I want my life to be a witness that exemplifies the power of God, the goodness of God, the mercy of God. I need that. Especially through the difficult times. Simon saw something and so... This is what makes me think he was more of a charlatan because he wanted to buy it. Magic tricks, you still buy magic tricks today. You know, give me $5,000, I'll show you how to make your kids disappear. (laughs) (laughs) 
but there's some ways that are illegal. <laughs> but people still buy tricks today. They still do things that are trying to, you know, show this is, hey, I'll show you how to do this trick and the buy it. And so him trying to buy this, I think, leads to the fact that he was just fooling the people and he wanted this, what he thought was a trick. Which brings us to this point, and Peter answered, may your money perish with you because you thought you could buy the gift of God with money. You have no part or share in this ministry because your heart is not right before God. Repent of this wickedness and pray to the Lord, perhaps or if therefore he will forgive you for having such a thought in your heart. For I see that you are full of bitterness and captive to sin. Whoa. What happened? I thought he he was baptized. He believed. Well, James 2 tells us that the demons believe and they tremble. It's possible to believe, but not be changed. And you see, what's important here is to see that there was something wrong in Simon that had not, conversion hadn't taken back down to the root. Because he was still interested in his own ability to maybe amaze, his own ability to work at people and to deceive them or to be great in their eyes. He was still concerned with himself and promoting himself. Conversion hadn't taken root in him. He was still all about himself, which is a, a frightening thing and should make us all wonder, and I believe this has, the scripture is here for this purpose. Have you changed? Since you said, I want to follow Jesus, have you changed or are you still about yourself? I still want people to think highly of me and me important. I still want to give an impression. I still want to be the focus. It's about me. Are you still about you? Has your life changed or is Christianity just something that you put on your sleeve? Yeah, I'm a Christian now, but I have no difference in my life. I have no change of life. I am still all about me. Because that's what Simon is doing here. And if that is the case, then it's going to perish with you. That you would think you could even use this for your advantage. I'll be a Christian so I can pick up on the girls, or I can be a Christian so that I can, whatever, advance my livelihood. Some people go to church so that they can promote their business. And they put a little dove or, you know, cross, yes, I'm a Christian, a little fish. And they go to church, and yes, yes, brother, you know, Christian Brothers Plumbing, or whatever it is. And I, I, I'll go to church and hand out business cards, or promote Amway, or whatever it is. And all of a sudden, you go to church for your own gain. What are you doing? That, that's wrong. You're now using the name of Jesus to advance your means. That's wrong. That's wrong. And Peter said, your heart's not right before God. 
you, you need to change this wickedness because it is. It's wickedness. And you need to change of that wickedness. Otherwise, you're still who you are. And you're full of that bitterness. And you're full of that sin. Simon answered and prayed, Pray to the Lord for me, so that nothing you have said may happen to me. Now you wonder, is that repentance, or is he just doesn't want the consequences? We don't really know. We don't really know what's happening, but we see that there's something amiss with him, and we never hear about him, so we don't know what if he actually did change his ways or still was all about himself. It's a tragic thing when you see people come into faith, but they don't change. Their lives never change. They never stop being about themselves. It's a tragic thing. And I, I'm not the one who judges, thank God. God will deal with him. But Peter saw his heart and said, there's wickedness there. There's bitterness. And that idea of wickedness or, or bitterness is poison. There's something poisonous in you. You're captive to sin. And what a description. Captive to sin. I don't want to be captive to sin. Don't want to be that. And so, God, change me so that I'm not about myself. So that I'm not wanting to promote myself. So I'm not wanting just for me. Because the heart of God is for others. Let this mind be in you that was also Christ Jesus. Though being God became a servant. Let this mind be in you. I need to be about others, to serve others, to care about others. That's what I need to do. Verse 25, it says, When they had testified and proclaimed the word of the Lord, Peter and John returned to Jerusalem, preaching the gospel in many Samaritan villages. Again, as we're seeing, this is the end. I think it's kind of neat that as John's name is used here for the last time in this story, it reminds me of Luke chapter 9. Go turn there with me real quick. Because the last time John was in this area, he had a little different attitude. Luke chapter 9, starting at verse 51. As the time approached for him to be taken up to heaven, speaking of Jesus, Jesus resolutely set out for Jerusalem. And he sent messengers on ahead who went into a Samaritan village to get things ready for him. But the people did not welcome him because he was heading for Jerusalem. When the disciples, James and John, saw this, they asked, Lord, do you want us to call fire down from heaven to destroy them? But Jesus turned and rebuked them, and they went to another village. The last time John was in this area or wanted to go to Samaria, it was a little different. He had a little different attitude. Lord, you want us to destroy them? And now we hear, see him for the last time in this area. He's preaching the good news to many Samaritan villages. Said, Lord, wipe them out. He's telling them the good news. What a change. You know what? So many times we think that we have the ability to call fire down from heaven. 
that it's our job to judge. We are here to judge the world, to condemn them. When John 3.17, Jesus says, I did not come into the world to condemn the world. If Jesus didn't come to condemn the world, why are you taking up the job? It doesn't make sense. If he had the ability to, but he didn't, why do we think that we have the right to do it? It's not our job to condemn the world. They're condemned already. Our job is to give them good news. Give them good news. That's what he did. He preached the good news. Good news. God loves you. God cares for you. God does not condemn you. He has made a way for you to get out of this. Give you hope. To give you a future. He's got a plan for you. It's good news. And so we see this great change take place between what John was before calling down fire from heaven, going to judge these people. God, you want us to do this? And they couldn't even if they wanted to. You know, <laughs> when did they think, Jesus, you want us to call fire down from heaven? I wish you had said, yeah, go for it. I'd like to see that. <laughs> call again. Maybe he didn't hear it. You. you know I mean? It's like, what, what were they thinking? He rebuked them. He rebuked them. He said, no. And now here we see John preaching the good news. I pray that our lives have that kind of a change, that we would go from people who don't condemn but are preaching the good news, that we would not be about ourselves but we would be about others. And let's recognize that even in the hardship like this persecution that took place, God was at work. He was spreading his church, scattering them all over the place throughout the regions, and that's what he wanted from the beginning. He wanted this message to go out, and they needed to take it out, but they were all comfortable in Jerusalem. Well, sometimes we get a little too comfortable, and God needs to bring a little fire to kind of stir something up in us and move us on. I know he did with me. You know, if I look back, I say, yeah, I, your hand was in this, God, but couldn't you have found an easier way? I mean, God, couldn't you have done this just, you know, first class or whatever, God? I mean, why did you have to do this this way? Well, you weren't moving. You weren't going, so I had to, had to splash, push in the pond. And boy, I need to swim quick now. And the guy says, okay, good. Let's recognize how God works, that he is at work, most importantly, and that to do this work, to live this life, we need, just as they needed, to be filled with His Spirit, to be empowered by Him, so that we can live lives that are full of grace and, and power. The grace of God followed or precedes the power of God. They have to work together. And may we be transformed, even as John was, where he at one point was trying to bring judgment, and now he's bringing the good news. May that transformation take place in our own hearts as well. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for your faithfulness to work in our lives even when we are blind to those things, God. How you use persecution in your church to spread the good news, Lord, and you bring hardship in our own lives to do a deep work within our lives, Lord. We welcome that work, and even though it's hard, 
And even though it causes grief sometimes and mourning, even as they mourned over Stephen, the loss of someone who they loved and cared for. Father, there is a bigger picture. There are things that we need to be mindful of that maybe we don't see, but it is where our faith lies, and it's in you. And I pray, Lord, you would give us those eyes of faith to be able to see, that we would move in that realm, Lord, and not be blinded or in bondage to the things that we see. Father, that you have purposes for us that are bigger than what we see right here today. Lord, thank you for that. Lord, may we move in that. And Father, to to live that life of faith, we need, God, we desperately need your power. We need your spirit. May he fall upon us even tonight, Lord. We cry out to you, God. Empower us. We need to be filled again and again. It's not enough to believe. Lord, we need your power to live the life that you've called us to live. And so, Father, fill us, empower us, and may our lives be changed, God. May we learn from what we saw in Simon, who who believed but wasn't changed, who was captive by sin. Lord, we don't want to be captive by sin. Set us free, Lord. May there be a change in our lives, a deep change, Lord, that we're not about ourselves any longer. Lord, we're about you and we're about others. God, may that overwhelm us. May that be a reality in us. And I thank you for your faithfulness to work in these areas of our lives, Lord, to be able to change us even as you did, John. Thank you, God, for your goodness, your mercy, and your unfailing love. We do thank you, Lord. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen.